This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your favorite host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR, covering your Cleveland Browns. We're coming at you guys late in this week. I am recording this intro on Thursday night for a Friday morning release, and we are going to pick back up with our trend of how the Browns move their depth chart um, from last year to this year, sort of analyzing how each position group gets better, the potential of what is in the room, the potential of things to add, whether free agents, whether draft picks, and we're going to continue with the running back examination, which is obviously uh, a position group that is dealing from a position of strength. We're going to have a fantastic guest on, Matt Waldman, who I trust with running back analysis uh, more than just about anybody else, and um, he gives some great insights on sort of where Nick Chubb's going, whether Kareem Hunt fits in this scheme, and then some you know, some players to pay attention to in the draft. He's just a wealth of knowledge, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Not much going on this week, Browns news-wise. Sort of some free agents that are still hovering. Maybe the Browns will be interested in. Von Bell came and went to Cincinnati. I think some people thought the Browns might might pursue him, and I think they did to an extent. Um, but, But the guaranteed money seemed to be the falling out. Chris Hubbard's restructure was a good move for Cleveland. I think they did a nice job there, I think. Jake Trotter from ESPN noted this, and we have done the same in the OBR, um, you know, expert areas here that that cover this sort of inside the locker room stuff. That he's very well respected, although not a great year, a pretty poor year. Uh, the Browns found that his personality, his work ethic, is one that they like there, and they think he can be a nice sort of backup tackle and um, a guy who can step in if anybody's injured and help guide, push uh, a rookie on that left side, and maybe even be able to step inside if need be. And they wanted to keep that around. They valued that, and I thought they did a really nice job of restructuring that deal to take some of the dead cat burden away um, while also making sure that most of the deal for Hubbard um, included a little bit more guaranteed baseline money but less uh, promised money into the future. And, um, you know, Hubbard was willing to restructure that deal and make it incentive-based that if he plays a certain number of snaps, that, that money increases. So I think it protects both sides. Hubbard didn't want to be cut, wanted to be in Cleveland, and obviously... Cleveland wanted to keep him around. So I think it's one of those uh, rare opportunities that a restructure works for both sides. They also went out and signed Evan Brown, um, who who was most recently with the Giants, spent some time with the Dolphins last year, but finished up with the Giants. Um, You know, he's from SMU. I think the Browns are looking for somebody, a a backup center or a second string center that can play that position in camp. Maybe Brown 
I mean, it's probably most likely that Brown doesn't make the roster, but he will be around and be an important part of sort of, you know, they have to run during camp, second, third, fourth teams, and you need guys who have experience snapping the ball. I, I, again, I think uh, Wyatt Teller has experience being able to maybe snap the football inside, and, you know, the same can be said of Drew Forbes, guys that you can teach to snap the ball and sort of be that interior plug-and-play, whoever doesn't win that right guard job. But there is going to be the need for a backup center, so... Uh, Brown will have a chance to compete. Um, Andrew Billings, defensive tackle, also became an official signee. Uh, everything went through there. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch him play and push and uh, fight for snaps with Larry Ogunjobi, um, who some of you have mentioned his weight recently. I, I confirmed with him through a DM. He weighs 295, one of the more cut-up 295s you will ever see if you get a chance to look at his Instagram and his workouts and what he's doing. Um, a fantastic guy. Hoping he can right the ship and have a big year, um, sort of in a contract year, as this defensive tackle position needs somebody to anchor the future. And the hope is that Larry can be a big part of that future if he has a nice, uh, nice bounce back year. So, um, but Billings will will be there. He will play snaps with Sheldon. He'll play snaps with uh, Larry. He will he will be around that defensive line. It's it's good for them to have depth on that interior finally that can provide some stability for if those guys have to leave the field tired or if, uh, God forbid, an injury happens too. So uh, we'll talk more about Billings. Did post on Andy Janovich's uh, film room. Got that up at the OBR. If you get a chance to look at that, do so. That guy's really good. I mean, he's a really good blocker. His his uh, analysis and grades report uh, is is pretty indicative of what his film shows, which is the guy's versatile. You know, there's talk of... CJ Ham and and Kyle Juszczyk, the guys who are the big names at the position right now, and he's every bit as good, I think. He can be utilized. I think Juszczyk probably has a little bit more athletic ability and hand-eye coordination, but if you get a chance to watch, and I posted some clips of him catching the football, and he's very coordinated. He can sneak out of the backfield and do some things and play action for the Browns. He can obviously lead block really well, one of the top three lead blockers over the past two years, and will do fine there, and they'll use him in a myriad of ways to get him involved. Um, but that 2025 snap mark and a guy who can catch a screen can be creative with him can lead on you know uh, fun reverse type of plays too so he will be a nice part of this offense as the puzzle pieces keep coming together one big cog needs to be placed there at the left tackle position we'll see how that all shakes out but uh, the film room on Janovich was fun to do and um, you know if you get a chance to look at it I appreciate it Carl Joseph was done by uh, Mr. Buckeye himself there on the OBR account John Stephenson who who loved Carl coming out of West Virginia and asked me if he could take it. And he's he's done some great work, and, and you should read it because he, he goes in depth about how Carl can be used, and he does a nice job of breaking down Joe Wood's entire defense. If you can get a chance to read that in this offseason or the cover three that they're bringing in here, um, it's a great read. John's a great coach and has a great understanding of football. He's constantly sending me playbooks. So we have some fun stuff on the Shanahan playbook that I think Stefanski will bring here, Gary Kubiak playbooks. All that fun stuff we'll be able to provide for you this year. So if you get a chance, go check out John's work. Check out Andy Janovich, and we'll have some more on Billings and Goodson in the days to come. But we should probably go ahead and get over to our podcast interview. But before that, I want to give you guys a quick word uh, from our sponsors at BetOnline.ag. I know plenty of you people out there still like to gamble during this tough time, and you can still do so despite there being no NBA, NHL, or MLB Going to betonline.ag is your best place to get your gambling fix in right now, guys. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, games to wager on. You can let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. They're open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props or entertainment betting, you can still be a bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Come on, the weather. 
Visit their website, join today to receive a 100, I said that right, 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. They're going to match that for you. Be sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. We're all home. We're all doing nothing. You might as well make some money gambling, make some money back. You can do that at betonline.ag. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online waging experts. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, I'm excited, pumped to bring in Matt Waldman, rookie scouting portfolio, the guy who could just uh, ignore my DMs if he wanted to. He's big time. Always appreciate him giving me some time. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing great, Jake. And man, absolutely would not be uh, ignoring you. I would say the opposite way around would probably be the case with what you do um, for all the Cleveland fans around here. Nah, that's that's. Uh, I saw guys like you know the stuff you were doing when when I started looking for for uh, a niche on this on this fantastic website you were the you were the guy that I, I wanted to follow to an extent and kind of localize so it, it's not the other way around Matt it is certainly me following your mold and you continue to to kick ass with it and I wanted to bring you in to talk running backs as I do I want to try to make this an annual thing because there's nobody's opinion on running backs I respect more and and uh, the segue to sort of where this whole bit is going as we get into an exciting 2020 season for the Browns, as we look at every position they have. And we talked to John Costco about quarterbacks, so I wanted to talk to you about running backs. And and uh, I'll say this, though, man, as we're in lockdown, we're in quarantine, how nice is this reprieve the NFL is giving us here with some, some free agency action? Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually pretty nice. And, and you know, I mean, certainly we don't want to, we're probably taking everything one day at a time right now or one week at a time. But, you know, we're always projecting. And even as sports fans, we do that a lot. So, you know, if the NFL were to, uh, say, play in front of empty stadiums for the contract money right now, I don't think anybody who's an NFL fan would be upset about that. <laughs> no, so, no, not at so, all. So, I mean, I, I think that that would even be a nice reprieve um, in a way that, you know, for all the things that we can say about – the way the NFL is managed, um, you know, you know, negative and positive and a lot of it's negative. You know, we always, you know, kind of gripe and grouse about that kind of thing. But uh, I think that would be one of the this would be one of those exceptions that even if they were playing in empty stadiums, you know, come come August, I think most people would probably welcome that and say, go ahead, just pay them the TV money. It's all right. I know, which is which is so crazy because. Not even a week ago, we were just considering this idea. Now we're in the notion of, holy crap, baseball might get pushed away. There might not be a finish to an NBA season. And then all of a sudden, we're talking football might get pushed back. And, you know, with everything closing down, as it is here in Ohio, and I'm sure most states are getting to this sort of thing, it's it's just nice to look at Twitter and kind of forget for five minutes that, that, that things are crazy in the outside world. So the NFL has done a nice job with that um, as best they can for us. And, and it allows us to keep talking about content, which is what... I want to talk to Matt about, which is the draft, which is somehow on track to still happen. It might be the biggest Zoom conference party we've ever seen in the world come the end of April, but we're going to talk <laughs> running backs. And when we talk running backs, we're going to talk Nick Chubb because he's fantastic and the Browns are lucky to have him and he's become this top-notch back that, you know, when I talk to people, I, I care to hear their opinion about the NFL. Sometimes they leave him out of the top five and I'm kind of flabbergasted how you can not have him in your top five and... um and understand where the thought process is for that. So, so my question for you, Matt, is you were, you were obviously one of the guys who were highest on Nick. I think at the time, and I don't think this has changed. I would maybe it has changed since, 
since then, but you, you know, your highest graded running back. Is that right? That, that yeah. You had coming out. Yeah. So obviously nobody higher on him coming out and he turned into what you expected him to turn into. I'll ask you this. He should have won the rushing title was close to winning. It didn't win. It obviously had a great rookie season in, in a short half season, almost he eclipses a thousand yards, loses it abruptly on his last rush of the year. But is there another level for Nick? I mean, is there another level where he becomes a bigger impact in the passing game? Is he, in, you know, is there another level where he becomes maybe a seventeen hundred yard rusher with Stefanski's ability to commit to that level of the game and the ability to to manipulate run game to to inside outside this outside zone fun stuff that we see coming? Do you see him becoming an even better version of a guy we already love? Oh, I absolutely think that. I think that he hasn't really even. I mean, I think that he's kind of at a. You know, maybe two thirds. I don't want to say two thirds of the way there, but he's you know he's got a good healthy tier to jump um, because you have to remember that with the way the offense is played in Cleveland at this point, it's not like they're playing with leads. It's not like they're giving Nick Chubb the opportunity to sew games up, and that's where a lot of the best backs in terms of their production come from Mm -hmm. is that in those you know third and fourth quarter carries where the defense is you know, either given up or they're a little tired out at this point. They don't want any part of of a back who earns yards after contact. Just think of, like, the Seahawks with Marshawn in the day when they were dominating and the type of yardage that he would get at the, you know, in the final two to three drives of games. And I think that, you know, Cleveland hasn't had a chance to do that yet. And now you're pairing them with the outside zone scheme, which, you know, you've done some great work, you know, showing people why Nick Chubb is such a good outside zone runner and why this is really in his wheelhouse. And so if you give him the offensive line, you give him the scheme, and you can get the scheme to work in a way where he can play, you know, they can play from, you know, ahead and be bullies, Nick Chubb could be a 2,000-yard rusher. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, and it probably is because that's a hard thing to, to put on any back. But he has that kind of upside. There's probably five or there's probably four to five backs in this league who have that kind of upside, whether they would ever hit that or not. But I think Nick Chubb is absolutely one of them. And yes, you can take advantage of him more in the you know as a pass receiver and certainly in the screen game. And we saw with what the Vikings do, they do a great they did a great job last year under Stepanski to run the screen game. They've done an abs- they do an excellent job of being able to run different types of bootleg looks and a lot of uh, they they layer a lot of different plays within one idea, you know, one basic idea and that's just basically the outside zone scheme and all the different play action and boots and screens that you can do off of that and I I just think that Nick Chubb as long as he stays healthy He's in. He's in for the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. To have a seventeen hundred yard season, I think that that's a conservative estimate. You know, I think he. I think he could even be better, depending on how well the line plays, how well Mayfield plays. And I think too. You know, this is this is just me watching him every down of his for the last two years, and some of his time at Georgia, obviously, was. The guy, the guy's a better receiver than people give him credit for. I, th- I certainly think that he's able to get two, three hundred, maybe even four hundred yards out of the backfield. Problem is, his quarterback doesn't love to check the football down or take easy things sometimes, and you hope that comes. But if that comes for Baker, sort of that 
internal clock that tells me, man, I don't have to drive this ball up the seam. I can just dump this off to a safety valve here to my running back. And whether it's a swing route, whether it's a check delay, something along those lines, you can see a trickle effect. And like you said, Matt, the, the screen game that Stefanski brings is super dynamic and can obviously be a big part of what they do. And his deception was what makes him even more effective in screen game stuff because he'll be able to, you know, coming off play action, boot throwback screen type stuff. He'll be fantastic settling on those. And like I said, he's he's better as a receiver than people give him credit for or want to give him credit for. And when we talk about running back receivers, they also have that other guy, Kareem Hunt, right? He's a dynamic running back receiver type that can do a little bit of everything. But I do have some questions about what you think his fit is, Matt, uh, sort of this guy who can be a, a spill or 70-30 and 80-20 guy, how they wiggle him into because Nick is so good. Nick is so freaking good at outsides. His vision, I'm telling you things you know, but I'm just making sure that people listening know the ability for him to see two beats ahead, almost like a point guard. Like LeBron, they talk about him, Magic Johnson. They saw the game two or three beats ahead. That's what Nick does finding running lanes and his ability to sort of manipulate second-level defenders to find the accurate crease, not be fooled by a deceptive hole. Those sorts of things are what he's best at. I don't know that Kareem has has shown the ability or had the opportunity, I should say, in an offense such as this. Do you think he's a guy that they'll feel comfortable with um, sort of paying the second-round tender? I mean, they put it on him. They're obviously going to do it the second round label and pay him and everything. But do you think he fits or do you think he would be better for somebody else in some capacity, um, you know, on, on, on the, on the restricted free agent market? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And I think that the, the nice thing about Kareem Hunt is that when you do look at his game, um, he's someone that always has been pretty good at being able to work in tight creases and being able to identify at least the next level ahead um, with a lot of the runs that he did, that he performed well, both at Toledo and with the Chiefs, and then you know what he's done in, in Cleveland. I think that he's the type of back because of the way that he can set up creases, and and that he's he has experience running. Just just you know, if we just pare everything down to just the basics of zone or gap concepts. I think he's been a very good zone runner during his career. Mm -hmm. And I think that while the outside zone certainly has its own adjustments that you have to make with it, I, I think that he'll be able to make those adjustments because he has a, he has a very good feel for how to be able to set his feet up to be able to set up block or use his feet to set up blocks. The, the eyes feet connection is very strong with him. And that's, what's really important about zone running is that you can be able to, you know, if, if you have to think about, you know, what your feet need to do based on what you see your toast. And that's why there are a lot of backs out there. Like a good example of like a running back who, you know, who's a very good gap style runner but not much of a zone runner has been um, Marlon Mack out of mm. Indianapolis, who's had some good years um, recently. But he's a back that if you ask him to think about more than one possibility to try and manipulate, he kind of self-destructs a little bit. Um, you, you know, so and Hunt, you haven't seen that kind of problem. So and I certainly think he has enough burst to be able to, you know, do what he needs to do to be able to get outside and to be able to, to to work it, and I think that if a guy like I'll put it to you this way, I you know I live in Atlanta, I cover the a lot of what the Atlanta Falcons do every week is just a part of my job at FootballGuys.com. 
And, you know, Devonta Freeman's a very natural zone runner or has learned to become a very good zone runner. And, and he came into the league that way. Whereas Tevin Coleman, who a lot of people loved, who played outside zone at Indianapolis, or excuse me, at Indiana, really wasn't a very good outside zone runner. And, and uh, the Falcons actually had to um, adjust their scheme under Shanahan. And Shanahan started running more gap-style plays, specifically for Coleman during his first year, year a couple years, really, because when they put him on the field to run outside zone, he just didn't get it. He just... You know, he he wasn't patient enough. He didn't identify the keys he needed to, um, and they needed they wanted him on the field because of his big playability. And it really took him about three years to really kind of figure that out. But my point is, is that if a runner like Coleman, who really wasn't a very much of a natural at that, didn't really, you know, he was much better, more of a of a toss, you know, ISO, um, you know, trap power type of guy you know naturally in the way that he ran if you get him to become a pretty good outside zone runner i i don't think kareem hunt has for him it's more about refinement than it is about having to start over i think he's a he's a good fit it just it just it it just um really comes down to if the browns feel like let's go with both of these guys or are we going to be able to sign him and then be able to trade him yeah that's what's fascinating i think if somebody tries to tender him and um, you're you're the Browns, Matt, and you have the opportunity to study the draft like you have at running back. Somebody says we'll we'll send you a second for him. Essentially, we're going to sign him. Are you comfortable letting that second, letting him go for a second? And if you are, who are some backs you think the Browns could take maybe day three that you think fit the scheme sort of as not not spending big, you know a bigger pick, maybe a fourth, fifth, sixth area that that you would yeah. like? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of them this year. Um, this is a pretty good. This is a pretty good class. Um, so yeah, if they were to do that, I'd feel all right with that because I think that you know obviously with Hunt, there's you know you could look at it in two ways. You can say, well, you're never, you're probably not going to get a guy the caliber of Hunt, and that's that's very possible. Um, but are you going to be able to keep a guy like Hunt and keep him motivated and he said all and did all the right things up until the very end, um, it, you know, and until like season ended. And then you could kind of see, you know, in that police video, him talk, talking about how unhappy he's been, um, you know, so do you have a ticking time bomb in that sense emotionally, of, yeah. you know, hopefully he's able to figure that out, but you may not, you may have a guy who's literally looking at his career and going, I blew my shot to win a Super Bowl. Like here I am. I mean, I'm happy for Cleveland and I'm thankful for the fans and, you know, and for the organization, but you know, he's sitting, you know, if he's sitting here saying what he was saying, he's thinking I, I could have been with Patrick Mahomes and, and Andy Reid and the, and a Super Bowl champion. And I, I cost myself that. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, is he going to be able to move forward with that? You know, we, we had a, we had a running back who went through something different than that, but in, in Ernest Biner, who was a you know who had to kind of go through and live down what happened to him, um, and you know, and for him to be able to like, he got some redemption playing in Washington, but yeah. I'm sure that took him some time, you know, and and certainly he's written a book about it, so you know it has. So guys in the second, you know, who you can get maybe on the you know third day of the draft, early third day somewhere between rounds four and six 
you know, one guy that comes to mind that I really like is Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. He's, you know, he's a back who not a lot of people know a lot about, but he's about 5'10", 212. He ran a 4.4940, which is, you know, starter tier for me. And he has, he has elite tier acceleration. And um, if you look at the 20 shuttle as an acceleration measurement and short area quickness, 6.95. Now as his, his, you know, that was the three cone drill. And that 6.95 doesn't really show up in a way where you're seeing lots of dynamic jump cuts and loose hip kind of, um, you know, movements to be able to make people miss. He's kind of more of a Raheem Mostert, Jonathan Franklin type of back. And if you remember Jonathan Franklin, who had a, a quick tenure with the Green Bay Packers before he hurt his neck and he had to retire as a rookie. But Kelly's a guy who he, you know that when he gets the ball, that he's going to get positive yards and, and that he's not going to take too many chances. He's going to get downhill for you. And if he can't get downhill for a big gain, he's just going to take it where he needs to to push. And he has enough strength and leverage in his game that, um, you know, he's someone that I think makes very few mistakes. He's a good receiver, kind of like Chubb. He wasn't used a lot, but he flashed in terms of being able to catch the ball very well away from his frame, um, you know, inaccurate throws. He was able to go up and be able to, to win. Um, and he's someone that shows patience. He's runs. He's, he ran in a variety of different looks under Chip Kelly that I think that, you know, he's someone that breaks tackles. He has the deep speed that I think a lot of people kind of poo pooed and said, that's not always the case. But, you know, to me, if you're, if you're scoring, you know, if you're getting 60, 70 yard runs and, and you're, you're marking down on a guy because he got caught from behind at 60, 70 yards, then um, you're probably unfairly uh, criticizing the guy's speed, which is why when he ran a 449 and nobody seems to say anything about that, I think that has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, again, they're kind of being hard on him. So he's a guy that I think could be very nice, you know, as a nice value. And I think is one of the top 10 backs in this class um, that you can and not far away from being able to be a starter if you need him to be a starter. Um, he's bigger than Mostert, and obviously Mostert's faster, but he's that kind of straight line-ish back who can make you miss in small, in, a, in kind of in a small space with a nice little move here and there. Another guy is Keyshawn Vaughn out of um, Vanderbilt, who is a 5'9", 214-pound back, and he had a 4'5", and when he came to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, he was about 195 pounds, which really concerned me because when I watched him on tape, he's he showed terrific contact balance for his size, and I thought he was a bigger back. I thought he was around that 215-pound mark. When he showed up at 195, I was a little concerned, but he showed up at the combine at 214. He ran well at a you know 45140 is not bad for you know 214-pound guy who gained that weight you know in about a month. And we'll see if it melts off of him in the August sunshine. But I think he's a guy that's going to eventually be able to play at that weight. He has good contact balance. He's very smart about what he needs to be able to do um, in terms of running between the tackles. And he has enough burst to be able to get outside the tackles. He's done it against you know NFL caliber talent like the the likes of Auburn and Alabama and LSU and, and Georgia. And you can see him being able to get to the outside and, and really play well. And he's also one of those guys that 
can catch the ball well. Um, and those are guys that are kind of in the mid rounds. And if you want, I could give you a couple late round guys that that I also like, but they're you know in terms of what you know you may be looking for. Um, you know, no, go go them, ahead. Whoever you yeah. rattle them off real quick. I think Browns fans yeah. would like to know about. Yeah. Okay, so Darrington Evans out of um, Appalachian State. He he runs kind of he runs outside zone. He runs a little inside zone and gap. He's 5'10", 203. He, he ran a four four one forty, so he's very fast, versatile runner. Um, he doesn't get a lot of yards after contact, um, but he's a guy that um, you know is a smart runner. He's a shifty guy. Um, he plays tough. Um, so that's a guy that I think that could grow within the system. Um, Rico Dowdle is kind of a personal favorite of mine, and I actually compared him on a scale of guys that you know the low end is if he's not playing as well as he could, it would be James Jack, James Jackson, the former Miami runner. Kenneth Dixon is kind of like the mid range comp for him. The, the former Raven who just kept getting hurt, but flashed and Kareem hunts is high end, you know, kind of comparison. And this is a guy that, you know, in the South Carolina backfield, I, I have real questions about what the university of South Carolina has done with their, their, their running backs. Cause they've had a lot of talent that's kind of come and gone through there. Um, but he's five eleven two Oh nine very very good movement like he's got the that kind of swivel and the ability to um you make jump cuts and tight spaces and stop start um people and when you look at i don't really use these kind of scores but the way that the combine when they look at like height weight and the workouts that guys do they come up with like athletic scores and only the only guy about a higher athletic score than him was jonathan taylor so, you know, this was a parade All-American quarterback who became a, a running back, but he had a, a groin injury. Then he had, you know, he had like a sports hernia. Then he broke his leg. And then he had a, a knee injury that derailed him for a couple of games this year. And, you know, his coaches were like, if this guy, you know, you know kind of put it all together, he could be at another level than what we've seen of him. And this is a guy that had like 100 yards, I think, against Alabama on 12 touches um, this year. And, you know, when you watch what he can do, he can catch the ball. He, he can make, you know, catches w- well outside his frame. He can make some back shoulder plays. And he's a guy that, um, you know, really understands, has a feel for how to be able to set up guys at the second level. And he has enough burst, obviously, to get outside and, and do the outside zone. And I'm going to give you one last guy and this is a kind of a favorite of mine who's also was a south carolina back before he um transferred to Brigham young and he tore an acl he's not going to help you this year but if you keep green hunt and you need a back for the future and you're looking at a guy that maybe in a year can contribute for you it's tyson williams okay mm-hmm. this guy's six feet 220 um he is he's run zone and gap he BYU fell in love with this guy after four games, and then he tore his ACL. He is a big, strong, shifty runner who can catch the football. He has speed. He has acceleration to his game. Um, he's really one of those guys that you look at and you wonder what got, what went on with him because at, at North Carolina, he, he was recruited as a four-star recruit at North Carolina. He sat behind Elijah Hood and... Um, T.J. Logan, who were both guys that got drafted in the NFL or at least signed, and I guess he kind of came in and they were already the established thing. And after like a year, 
He transferred out because he didn't get many touches. Um, and then he ended up at South Carolina, and he took over for Rico Dowdle and had some really good games. And then he fumbled, and the and the, he fumbled in the game, and the staff decided to to bench him. And it was only one of two fumbles he's had in his entire career. Uh, but he's, so and that's why I kind of wonder about this about the South Carolina staff because they've literally had like three or four backs that when I watch them I'm like wow those guys are actually pretty darn good and what's going on here because um, South Carolina from what I see and I've talked to some scouts who kind of whispered South Carolina has been long kind of long time even since the days of Spurrier was kind of the place that they didn't get the most out of their guys. And I don't know what that was and why that was, but Will, Williams went to BYU, and apparently BYU was just bowled over by him. And the team loved him, and he made a great impression. And, you know, that's not the place either, too, that you just kind of roam in there and start acting like a, a, an idiot. So yeah. if you're, you know, so if he's, if he came in there and made that kind of impression, you, you know, that's a good thing. And, Obviously, the ACL tear is unfortunate for him, but this guy, when he's healthy, he he has at least the athletic ability and the pure running ability of, to me, a first or second day guy. So I, if I were the Browns, they had some luck with Isaiah Crowell in the past, who's another guy that I had certainly written about in the past, knowing about some of these Georgia backs yeah. or former Georgia backs. Tyson Williams could be your version of like, you know, getting uh, uh, Isaiah Crowell redo, you know, in terms of like getting an undrafted guy who actually pops and, and can give you some production if you need it. Yeah, plenty of great options. I mean, Joshua Kelly, among many others that Matt gave us there that are that are going to be available. So if, if things come, you know, the New Year League is going to start here shortly. Um, and, and, you know, you never know teams opening up cap, letting some guys go that they can spread out dead cap. I think... You know, the more I look at it, Tom Brady signs with the Buccaneers. It makes a whole heck of a lot of sense that they would be interested in Kareem Hunt based on what that offense does and based on his ability yeah. to catch the football for a quarterback. I don't know if they want to pay the price, but if that does come to fruition, come back to this podcast later on and you will probably hear one of the backs that uh, that Matt brought up here is somebody that the Browns do end up drafting or signing uh, after the draft is is they will need somebody. You can't have, if you look at the, the Vikings splits last year, and Dalvin Cook, not the most durable back in the world, did miss a little bit of time. But they they had, you know, Madison and others who were stepping up and running the football well for them. So if you want this offense to be as good as we hope it is, they'll need two backs and maybe even the ability to throw a guy, in, in case of an injury, a third guy on the field that they feel comfortable in this scheme. So fascinating stuff from Matt. When we get done with the draft or whoever they sign or, or wherever this shakes out at the end of April, as usual, leading into camp, I will have Matt back on. He's one of the best. Make sure you're following Matt. Um, on Twitter, you're going to get constant video breakdown of draft prospects. In-season stuff is phenomenal. He's on top of stuff right away, uh, posting videos and going through it and teaching you football. Not just posting stuff for likes and clicks, but teaching you football, and I value that more than anything else. Matt, man, really appreciate you joining me. Hey, man, it was su such a pleasure, and uh, let's hope that uh, everything shakes out well for these guys over the next couple of months. Absolutely, absolutely. You stay safe, my friend. Hey, you too. A big thank you to Matt Waldman for jumping on Talking Running Backs with us. It was a great time. He's got a great mind for it. You should be following him on Twitter if you're looking for excellent year-around analysis of prospects and players in the NFL alike. I thank you guys once again for joining us at Brownstone Breakdown. Big OBR news coming next week. We're going to be releasing a really fun 
newsletter podcast every day, and I hope you guys will be tuning into that. Again, thank you for following along with the work at the OBR, following along with the Brownstone Breakdown podcast, and as usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.